I'm going to read this morning from John chapter 4. Um, it's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman that we began by thinking about together. These words. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees uh, ha had heard that He was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but His disciples. So, He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, He had to go through Samaria. So, He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw from and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and their livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you are now have is, is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Um, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I, I know that Messiah is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am He. 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want or, 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 or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then at verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. When the presbytery in the Church of Scotland started to put together this plan, they called it a mission plan. Now, it's also a practical plan. It has to look at resources and what we've got and look at buildings and all the practical things, but they said it was to be a missional plan. And a lot of people have been asking, quite critically, how is it missional? Is this not just about you know, business plans and, and making things fit? How is it missional. But one of the things that we've been doing as we've been going through this is trying to get congregations to think missionally about the structure of the church. What does this all mean? Because in the end of the day, a plan can't be missional. A people have to have a heart for it. A people have to have a heart for it. So what I want to do in the time we have is, is go through this passage from John and see what it is that we can learn about mission. Two things are happening in this. First of all, Jesus is evangelizing. He's, he's meeting and encountering this woman, and he's sharing that with this woman a little bit about what his mission is, what the, what the gospel is about, what God is doing, what God can do for her. And, and then we see at the end of it that the woman herself is being missional. She's going to her neighbor's and here's somebody who only believed five minutes ago, and she's going to her neighbors and saying, you'll never guess what I found. You'll never guess about this Jesus. Come and find out. It's interesting in churches, sometimes we say, well, I need trained before I can do any type of mission or share my faith. I need someone to tell me how to do it. I don't have a theology degree, and how can I do it? And here's an example of somebody who's just so excited about what they've discovered in their faith that it just bubbles out. They're just going and saying, come on, come but let's look at this passage. I want to suggest to you, it starts with one thing that, that is quite easy to get our heads around, but is really important. It starts with Jesus being interested in people, committed to people. You know, last week we read from the earlier chapter, John chapter 3, and Jesus met a man called Nicodemus. And the interesting thing about Nicodemus was Nicodemus was a well-heeled man. Nicodemus was a respectable man. Nicodemus was a religious man. Nicodemus was a great catch. If you were setting out to, to grow a new movement or a church or a religious movement, you'd have looked at Nicodemus and said, well, if we can get him on board, we're, we're sorted. But here in the next chapter, Jesus is talking to a woman who is at the opposite end of what might be considered a great catch. She's a Samaritan, so he's crossing 
a racial divide. She's a woman in a patriarchal society where men didn't talk to women in public, so he's crossing a gender divide. And not only that, she's a woman who has a very bad reputation. So he's talking across a moral divide. We're told in verse 6 that this woman comes to the well by herself in the middle of the day. Now, I, I could be quite sexist in here. Have you ever known women to do anything by themselves? They always go in pairs, don't they? Sorry, that's a bit, men do it too. But you know what I mean? There, why is it that she comes by herself? What is it about her that nobody's with her? And the second thing that's weird is, if you had to go and carry a whole load of water, what time of day would you go? Well, for a start, you need the water at the beginning of the day to do all the chores. But here's a woman who's coming at noon. So she's coming at the hottest part of the day to carry water. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. And there really is only one reason why you might do that, and that is you don't want to meet anybody. And so we have a woman who nobody wants to know. Lonely, an outcast. And the remarkable thing about this passage is that Jesus doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't care about race or morality or gender. In fact, the woman in, in verse 9 says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And I, I, the, the sense of the emotion in that is that she's actually surprised, flabbergasted that he, he would speak to her. Delighted even. And as she goes away, she, she ends up saying to her neighbors, he told me everything I ever did. She's not just saying, well, I went and I met this religious man and he gave me a tract and he told me the good news of the Bible and he, he asked me to read a book and come to church. She's saying, I met a man who was interested in me. He knew all about me. He knew who I was. He was interested in my life and, and the brokenness of it. And it wasn't an obstacle. It was actually something he cared about. And that seems to be what excited her. You know, if we're going to do any type of mission, before we get into why we do it or what we do, it needs to be because we actually care about people. No matter who they are, no matter what's happened, we want to know them. We want to know something of their life. Does that make sense? You see, if I asked you, are you really keen to see folk who don't come to church coming to church? How many folk would say yes? Do you have a heart to see lots of children coming to church? Do you have a heart to see people growing in the church and, and the church numbers increasing, whatever we organize it? But now let me ask you another question. Why? Because here's the problem with an awful lot of the ways that the church responds and has responded. It's actually selfish. I want lots of people to come to church because church will be better if there's lots of people. I want lots of children in the Sunday school because, well, that means the church has a future. And by the way, it means I'll have a salary and a pension. <laughs> I want lots of folk to come to church because it's the only way I'm going to keep my building open. But you see the problem with that? 
It actually doesn't care about people. They're just customers that you want to recruit so that the business will keep going. Do we actually look at the folk around us, whether they're in our families or our neighborhood, and we actually say, I care about these people. And that's why I want to be part of their lives. That's why I want to talk to them. And by the way, even if they don't ever want to come to church, I want to be in Christ's name part of their life because they matter. And I think as you look at Jesus doing mission, that's the sense that you get. He's not trying to recruit her. He is trying to change her life because he cares about this person. So the first thing that we need to do is not be people who go into this because we love the church and want to see it going. We need to be people who go into this because we love, because when we look at these maps of parishes, we don't see, oh, that'll be our boundaries and that's where we'll put leaflets in. We actually begin to see that street after street after street of people whose lives are in all sorts of places and who we believe we can bless, we believe we can serve in Jesus' name. It's a heart that's interested in people. But here's the second thing I take from this passage, and it's this. We need to have a sense that as we look at these people and love these people, that we have something to offer them. Now, Jesus didn't have a bucket. He didn't have anything to offer this woman. But he said, look, I have got the best thing in the world. I have got living water. We need to believe that we have something to offer. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The gospel means that we have a gift from God to give people. And this is really important. You know, we say this again and again, but it, it, it matters. The gospel is a gift. It's a gift that is given to you from God. It is not a reward. And that really, really matters because, see, the thing is, if you see the gospel as a reward where you do certain things and therefore God does certain things for you, then there is a huge problem because you can lose a reward. People can be disqualified. You know, if, you, if you're going to get a wage, if you don't do the work, if you don't meet the standards, if you don't have the right qualifications, you will not get the wage. But if the gospel is a gift, the only thing that can disqualify you from receiving a gift is being too proud. That's why the only qualification for becoming a Christian is the humility to admit that you're broken and that you're in need. By the way, it's why moral people and why religious people get the hardest deal from Jesus because they think they don't need it. To the broken he comes. And that's why, as we share the gospel, it can never be condescending, because it's not a case of, well, I've earned this, and if I tell you to what to do, you can earn it. It's I've been given something I, I, I didn't deserve, and therefore I want to share it with you. The second thing here is that it's, it's living water that, that, that means we're never thirsty. People saying, Jesus is saying in this metaphor is simply this. People actually need this. You know, you need water physically. That's so obvious in this story. We are 60% water. And if you dehydrate, well, you've been dehydrated, haven't you? At some point, you know what it's like. You get a headache, then you start feeling sick. And if you go down that way, 
It's horrible and deadly. And what Jesus is saying as He describes the gospel as living water is this, our souls crave something. We have within us a spiritual thirst. And God wants to meet that spiritual need, but not just meet that spiritual need. He wants to give you living water, water that is bubbling over. That's back to John 10.10. I will come that you might have life and life in all its abundance. You might have and be satisfied and have this life. You might marvel and experience it. And when we've got a sense of this amazing gift that we've been given, then we do want to share it. There's a wonderful story in 2 Kings chapter 7 of a city that is under siege. The Arameans have surrounded the city. And, and, and you know what a siege is like. They, they, they don't storm the gates. They surround it and they starve the people out. And the people in the city are starving. And right at the bottom of the social heap of the people in the city are a group of lepers. And the group of lepers say to one another, if we stay in this city, we will starve. If we go out, the Arameans will probably kill us, but there's always a chance. So they leave the city and they go out to where the enemy are besieging. And when they get out there, they discover something that nobody knew. God has actually touched the Arameans, sent them into such a scare that they fled. And they have left all their camping gear, all their siege equipment, and all their food in their fleeing. And so out come these lepers that weren't getting any food in the city because nobody's going to give them food. They're bought in the heap. No one's got any food. Everybody's starving. And they come out and they go into these tents and it's full of all the packed lunches and the, the, the military rations and the grapes on the king's table. And they start having, this is brilliant. And then they have a discussion among themselves. Do you think we should go and tell the folk that are starving in the city that all this food's here? And they go. And, and there is a sense that that's a whole model of what evangelism is, what mission is. When we really come to church and we believe not just that it's good to come to church and it's nice to come to church, it would be nice if more people came to church, but we really have a grasp that what God has given us in the gospel is this living water that changes and transforms our lives, that quenches our thirst. How would we not be human if we didn't go and say to other people, this is fantastic, come and share it? That's what evangelism is. One person said this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. One beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And you know one thing you cannot do, you cannot do that in a condescending way. We need to believe that this gospel is valuable. You know, when the woman is told all of this, she says to Jesus, give me this water. And this is one of the oddities of this passage. You go back and read John 4, because it does strike as a bit odd what Jesus says when she says, give me this water. He says, um, go and get your husband. Now, at face of it, that seems both sexist and extremely rude, actually, because he knows that that's going to be a very sensitive issue with her. Go and get your husband. And what that reveals is that Jesus says to her, I, I know that you've got no husband, but I know more than that, I know that you've actually had a whole load of men in your life. 
What is Jesus seeing here? Well, I think he's saying this. You have a thirst, a spiritual thirst, that every single person has, that I will meet with this water, this gospel. But how are you trying to satisfy that sense of need in your life right now? And this particular woman is doing that with a whole string of relationships that are not working for her. Now, I know I have a bit of a problem because when I get thirsty, does anyone else like this? I sometimes mistake it for hunger. So I go and eat too much. Anyone else find that? That actually, sometimes when you think you're hungry, if you take a glass of water, the hunger goes. And why that is, is because we have this signal that says, I have a need. And if we don't identify what the need is, we begin to fill with something else to try to get rid of that feeling of thirst. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, we all do that with our lives. We have this deep need within us, this deep need to know that we're loved by God, this deep need to know what the meaning of life is. But what happens is when it's not met with that living water of the gospel that God intended to give us from the beginning, we begin to stuff our lives full of other things. This woman, it seemed to be a whole string of relationships. For us, it might be work. It might be a sense of achievement. It might be trying to have a pristine house. It might be a hobby. It might be, it might be drugs or alcohol or any number of things, some of which are, are dangerous and some of which are good things. But what we're trying to do is stuff ourselves so that that deep need that we feel that doesn't seem to ever be met is met in these things. Jesus says, I will give you something that is even greater. We need to have a confidence of this, that what the world needs is Jesus Christ. That's why we share it. It's not because we want people in the church. It's not because they might enjoy the singing or the coffee's wonderful or it would be good for them or it would give them a a self-help in life or whatever. It's because we are designed with this hunger for God. And we need to believe because we've experienced it ourselves that this is the best thing we could give for people if if we really loved them. We could bring them and introduce them to this Jesus. Paul says, I have complete confidence in the gospel, for it is the power of God to the salvation of all who believe. Complete confidence as I share this. This is my motivation. This shapes who I am and what I'm about. And the third thing from this passage, very briefly, is that everything points to Jesus. The woman, verse 19 when he starts to tell her all these things about his life, says, "Uh, uh, 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 I can see you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject and she starts having a theological discussion with him uh, about whether we should worship in Jerusalem or whether we should worship in in, where the Samaritans worship. And, you know, folk do that, don't they? And what she's doing at that point is deflecting. She's trying to distract from this whole idea of what God's about to, well, let's let's talk about theology. Let's talk about, uh, about temples and churches and all the rest of it. And we do that as well. The amount of time that we will spend on this mission plan compared to actually talking about the good news of Jesus we need to share. The amount of time we will spend trying to work out what styles of music we should use in a church. Should they be modern? Should they be old? I don't know how many hours I've spent having debates about that in churches over my time. Instead of talking about how do we get an experience of God's grace and share it. 
The amount of time we will spend on church buildings and architecture, one of the reasons that we need a mission plan at the moment is to get rid of a whole lot of buildings. And the reason for that is because otherwise we're going to spend our whole time fundraising and trying to keep buildings afloat. That's not the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And it's interesting as this woman goes and shares what she has found, she doesn't go and say, I've met a man, and by the way, he... uh, We had a great theological discussion, and uh, I've learned a few things about my life and all the rest of it. She goes and she says, come and see a man. I've met Jesus. I don't quite know what he's about yet, but I've met this man. That's what it was about. It was about what he was offering. And let's talk about that. You know, other religions will say there is a way to go. And the founder of the religion comes and tells you the way to find God. But in Jesus, God says, I have come to find you. That's why the gospel cannot be our way to God. It can only be the way to God because it is God come to find us. And Jesus says the time is coming where it wouldn't matter whether you have temple or or priests or anything else. The day is coming when we will know what this is all about. And when he uses that term, the day or the hour is coming, he's referring to the cross, the place where Jesus took on all that was wrong, where Jesus says on the cross, I thirst, which wasn't just that he needed some wine brought to his lips. It was much deeper than that. He was taking on everything that was lacking in us, everything that was wrong about us, everything that was sinful about us, that he might give us in him this living water, that would spring to eternal life. That is what we have. And that is why we need to be missional, not to preserve the church, but because this world that we are called to love so needs Jesus Christ. Let's pray.